Now, for those of you who've uh, picked up online or been here in person, uh, over the last three weeks or so, we've been uh, coordinating a series called Freedom in Christ. So this is week three, and the last session was two weeks ago. So I'm going to mention a, a verse that today's message is based upon, and it's from Galatians 5, verse 1. And it says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and don't let yourself be burdened again or tied to a yoke of slavery. So I'll read that again. Very important verse. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So that is uh, basically uh, the Bible saying, okay, you've been set free, now live in this freedom. Don't be tied down to things or with things that stop you from being free. Now, I don't know if you listen to Radio 1. I'm just looking out now, just trying to guess what radio station you probably listen to. How many of you kind of listen to Radio 4? Not many of you. Radio 1? 2? Oh, Radio 2 people. Radio 5? Yes, yeah, that's the sport one. I listen to that one. Anyway, I used to listen to Radio 1 when I was driving around. And a few years ago, Simon Mayo had this program on Radio 1 called Confessions. Don't know if you remember it. That people would phone in and confess to something that they'd never told anybody else before, but now they were going to tell millions of people. And one person, this bloke, this lad, phoned in, and he sounds like somebody in his early 20s, and he confessed to something that he did when trying to impress his girlfriend. And they were walking on the top of a cliff, they'd not been going out long, and he was a bit of a bodybuilder, so he picked up this rock and threw it over the edge of the cliff, thinking that that would impress her. It did not. But then he saw this piece of wood, like a railway sleeper, big piece of wood. And he, he walked to it, and with all his might, picked it up, staggered to the edge of the cliff, and threw it over to impress her. As this wood, piece of wood, flows over the edge of the cliff, he hears this whirring sound behind him, and he looks round just in time to see a goat fly over the edge of the cliff. Attached to this piece of wood. Now, some of you are laughing inside. That's wrong. Some of you are concerned about the goat. Attached to this goat. There he was. Just mind his own business. Watching couples walk by. Eating grass. All the time, not recognizing. Was attached to something that had the potential to destroy his life. We can be in Christ, new creations. The, sin of, the burden of sin has gone. And it was great that we sang that song this morning because the blood of Christ is more powerful than our greatest sin. The blood of Christ is more powerful than our greatest wrongdoing. But we're new creations. In Christ, we're new creations. And he wants us to flourish and to thrive. Do you know that the most popular verse when I became a Christian many years ago was John 10, verse 10, where Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have it in all 
its fullness. But the burden, but what we can often have is something attached to us that robs us of the life that he wants us to have. And he says it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. And our thought lives and the way that we think, even though we are free, can stop us being free. Can stop us from living in that freedom that Christ has won for us. And John 10.10, 10, where you know, Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have it in all its fullness. Before that, Jesus says, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. To stop you living within the freedom that God wants for you. And this morning we're going to look at, often it's how we think that robs us from the freedom that Christ has already won for us. And 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 5 says this, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We need to be in line with God's thinking if we're going to live in the freedom that he has for us. Now, over the years, before I was a pastor, I worked for an organization uh, that worked with young people. And uh, I don't know why, but over a period of time, I seem to end up amongst or working with people in prison or who had left prison. Now, I don't know why. That's not kind of my upbringing. Uh, I must admit, I did get arrested for shoplifting at the age of 11. Didn't come up in my interview, I have to say. I'm glad about that. <laughs> so I am here. I think my criminal record is just gone now. So I can be here talking with a clear conscience. But it's not as if that was my, my upbringing. But over a period of years, it was astounding the amount of people I'd come across or worked amongst or saw of people who'd become Christians in prison or I met them out of prison when they'd become, after they'd become Christians in prison. And it was astounding to understand something of the grace of God. Um, we was invited to go and lead a, uh, a chapel service in a young offenders institute, uh, 17 to 21-year-olds, max. Um, Minimum sentence, three years, so serious crimes. Going in and doing a chapel service for the worst of the worst. I've never been in, I'd never been in prison before. But over a period of going in and leading these chapel services, it was incredible to understand and grasp the level of grace that God had towards these people. Now, society would reject them. They deserve to be there. They deserve to be there. But it's amazing the level of grace and love that God had towards them. I was invited to uh, speak at an Alpha course, and there's an organization in the Northeast called Junction 42. Many young people become Christians in prison, and they run an Alpha course outside of prison as far as their follow-up. They invite people to go in and do the talks rather than watching them the talks on screen. And I remember going, uh, first time I went, and there were 70 of them there that had become Christians inside and now that are outside. And the passion of their worship was amazing that you know they they ate together and uh, they they worshiped together very passionately and uh, the next time I went there was over a hundred uh, some of their families were there and I mentioned a few weeks ago when I went to Argentina once and was at a conference and we went into this prison and there's 300 inmates that become Christians 
and were worshipping God. They'd led prison officers to the Lord, which is quite amazing, isn't it? Discipled them, asked for their keys. No, they didn't do that. <laughs> but it's amazing that these people that I came across, this is what came over, that they now believed that they were loved by somebody, that they were forgiven, that they were new creations, the old had gone, the new was coming in, their lives were valuable, they meant something to somebody, they were worth something, they were important, they were significant, they now had a future. The capacity of the truth about Jesus to turn lives round, to look ahead with confidence and even those coming to Christ in prison felt free in prison because of what Christ had done. And then I started to work a little bit for an organisation called the Message Trust in Manchester. didn't live in Manchester, but from a distance. And they did a wonderful thing because they worked amongst prisoners and people who became Christians in prison, some of them outside, and they would try and follow them up. And those who were kind of got partners you know, got partners before they went into prison on, and had children before they went into prison. When they came out of prison, the message trust tried to arrange it so that those who wanted to get married, that they'd, they'd help them to do it. And the message trust in their, their premises, they had this uh, cafe stroke restaurant where they did the, would do the reception for them. They um, had this, a room a bit like this that was their conference room and they would uh, lay on the wedding for them and do the wedding. Their band would do the worship. They had these wardrobes where people in Manchester had donated uh, wedding dresses uh, and suits. And, you know, when I saw it, it really moved something within me. The capacity for people to now look ahead with a different perspective. Not only to be free, but to think that I am free. And to move into the purposes that God has for me, no matter what has happened in the past. In Christ, I mean, we are new creations. And there's so much of the new to come. But our thinking, our thinking needs to be changed. He just wants, God doesn't want us to be yoked to this feeling of slavery where we can't move forward with freedom. He doesn't want us to be tied by our thoughts, our thoughts to robbers from all that he has got for us. In Psalm 119, verse 17, it says this, wonderful verse, says, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I were to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand on the seashore. So God at any one time has many thoughts towards us. His overriding thought is, is that he loves us. God is love. His banner over us is love. And we spend, you know, we spend so much of our time worrying about who we are. But it's not about who we are. We're precious because of who he is. That is why we're precious. Not because we've cheated on it. It's because he says that we are. It's because of who he is that makes us who we are. And I loved it. So when I was in Argentina, not everybody in Argentina was in prison, by the way. 
But there was, there was a revival in Argentina in the 80s when I was there, not because I was there either, but so there was a revival in there. And in the prisons it was reflected, but in the churches it was reflected. And one thing I picked up was that a lot of the uh, delegates at the conference, the Argentinian, were very smart. They were very smart. They, they wore kind of dresses or they wore suits. And their thinking was this, that no matter what our background is, they wanted to dress smartly because they were children of God. I'm a child of God, and this is a demonstration of that. Now, wearing a suit, don't get me wrong, I'm not expecting you all to come in suits next week, because uh, I won't be in a suit. So, But he's accepting this truth that I'm a child of the King of Kings. I am a child of God, and we're children of God, not because of who we are, but because of who he is and what he has done for us. And this truth is very important. And Rachel, uh, assistant pastor in her notes for the series, she says this, we, we can be told we are children of God repeatedly, but unless we really believe it and think about it, it will never change us. We need to engage our mind with the truth of God's word. This truth should change us and revolutionize our lives. So a couple of weeks ago, when Jamie spoke on this particular series, he did week two, he talked about getting into, how getting into God's Word is so important. And it is, because how else are we going to know God's thoughts if we don't get into God's Word? Because as somebody says, human culture is an extremely complex mixture of brilliant truth, marred half-truths, and something that's overly resistant to the truth. So within the society, in society, it's not as if there's not things that are true, but often they are half-truths. How are we going to know the full truth about what God thinks unless we engage deeply within his word? Now, you don't go to the Bible, of course, to learn how to make a rocket, because you're probably not going to find, and well, if you've got a version with a design for a rocket, then that'd be interesting, but you probably haven't. But this is where we learn about God, we learn about people, we learn about the future, we learn about his perspectives, we learn about his views towards the world. Now, truth doesn't change. But science, or our understanding within science, constantly changes. Now, I don't know if you know that in the Louvre Library in Paris, uh, there used to be, and there might still be, Three and a half miles of obsolete science books. Three and a half miles of obsolete science books because science is always changing. But in 1 Peter 1, it says this, All men are like grass, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. That does not change. The word of God does not change. The Bible has survived all attacks over the years. The Bible is the most read book, and it's still the most loved book. It's the most disputed book, the most dis- dis- debated book. It, was, it has been the most outlawed book in history. Millions of people have been prepared to give their lives because they refuse to give up their Bible. There's something precious about this. The French revolutionist philosopher Voltaire you might have learned about him in school. In the 18th century, they say he was a brilliant man, but he was an atheist. And he wrote a number of tracts and leaflets deriding the Bible, trying to put people off. 
And he says this. If you could put your phone off, that would be great. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. And he wrote a number of tracts deriding the Bible. And he says this in one of them. 100 years from now, from today, he says the Bible will be a forgotten book. He predicted that the Bible would be a forgotten book in 100 years. After Voltaire died in 1778, for nearly 100 years, his estate was used as a centre for the Bible Society in France. (laughs) Distributing and selling Bibles to the rest of Europe. I love God's sense of humour. Fantastic, isn't it? You're not going to write me off. And, uh, which is fantastic. And in Ephesians chapter 4, the Bible says, live as children of light. Live as children of light. Don't succumb to futile thinking. He says that people can be darkened by their understanding and separated from their life of God. Live as children that come into the light. Now, Stephen Hawking, some of you will have heard of him, great physicist, He's reputedly to have said this, heaven is a fairy story for people afraid of the dark. Professor John Lennox, who's a Christian physicist, says this, if Christianity is a fairy tale for those afraid of the dark, then atheism is a fairy tale of those afraid of the light. (laughs) We're encouraged to come into the light and the truth of God's Word, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, mindfulness, as you you know, is talked about a lot at this moment, and and in COVID, it has been really uh, accentuated uh, because of what we've been through. And uh, our son, he just did a sponsored his university friends from ten years ago just did a sponsored thing to raise money for the organisation Mind because of what people have been going through. COVID, and they, 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 they climbed Snowden nine times in two days, because that's the equivalent of climbing Everest, which is, I thought, you're never going to do it. And I, I was amazed that they did it. But mindfulness is such a, a big thing. Somebody once says this, life is 10% what happens to us, and 90% of how we respond to situations. That determines our life. Not so much what happens to us, but what goes on in our minds concerning what happened to us and what we fear will happen to us. Now, the NHS got some good websites, and one of them, it says this, and the, talks about the importance of taking control of our thoughts. Well, guess what? The Bible gets there first, where it says, take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So not only we can take control of our thoughts, but we can bring in Christ's perspective. The NHS website also, with some wisdom, says, highlights the importance of accepting what you cannot control and accepting what you cannot change. Now, apparently there's some wisdom in that. There's some things we cannot control, we cannot change. But in Christ, there's a difference. So we might not be able to control something. However, the Bible, Jesus says, cast all your anxieties on him. We might not be able to control it, but we can cast our anxieties on to him. 
We might not be able to control things, but Colossians chapter 2 says that he is above all things. And in him, all things hold together. So that is so, that is so uh, encouraging. Now there's times within our lives and within our weeks or within our day that we can feel that everyone and everything is against us. I don't know if you've ever felt that. You might have felt everyone or everything is against you. Maybe a couple of people disagree with you. You feel everybody's against me. One or two things happen. You think everything is against me. It's very rare that that is true. But it's how we feel. But often it's how we think. Maybe you're looking ahead to this week and you're thinking everything is is against me. And, And sometimes we have to recognize because we're tired. Or because things are piling up a little bit. Or we have an issue that is unresolved, therefore everything seems bigger than it should be. It's just blown out of proportion. Sometimes when somebody responds to a little thing that's wrong in such a big way, you know that something else is going on. It's probably not that thing that they're upset about. Something else is going on somewhere, and we can feel this. Now, the Apostle Paul in Romans 8 brings a a wonderful truth, which he obviously had taken hold of. Because there was a point in his life when everybody was against him. <laughs> Yet in Romans 8, he says, if God is for me, who can be against me? And then he writes a list of things that can be against us. You know, the uh, um, height or depth, what does he talk about? The present uh, or the future, angels and demons, even life and death. And he writes this list and says, if God is for us, who can be against us? And he finishes the passage by saying, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. He writes this list and says, no, in all of them, if you add them together, then I recognize I am more than a conqueror through him who loves me. Now, Graham Kendrick, um, how many of you heard of Graham Kendrick? Some of you have heard of Graham Kendrick. He writes some worship songs. I don't know if we still sing one or two of his worship songs. Um, But he has this phrase, which I thought was really nice. He says, me and God are an invincible minority. There might only be two of us. I might only feel that it's me and him at the moment, but we're invincible because I'm with him. Not because of me, because of who I am, but because of who he is. And in Ephesians chapter 4, which I've been hinting on one or two verses from this, he says, we do not wage war as the, as the world rages. So when something's on top of us, we can get quite aggressive, we can get quite defensive. But he says, we, you know, the Bible says we don't wage war in the same way. Because he um, says, doesn't it, as long as it depends on you, live at peace with one another. As long as it depends on you, live at peace with one another. Let your gentleness be evident to all. So when something comes against us, the idea is not to be overly aggressive, but work to live at peace with people, because with God, you know, if God is for us, who can be uh, against us? Now, Albert Schweitzer, he says this, a man can only do what he can do, but if he does that each day, He can sleep at night and do it again the next day. Now, I don't know if he's a Christian, but I thought that is a good thing, that sometimes you can only do what you can do. And then he goes on to say, sleep at peace tonight, 
God is bigger than anything you will face tomorrow. And that's a wonderful truth, isn't it? God is bigger than anything that you'll face tomorrow. Now, a friend of mine called uh, Kev, he uh, used to be an Elim regional person um, in one of the home nations. And uh, he wasn't from the country where he was the regional leader. And he felt one or two people not happy with him being this, in this position because he wasn't, quite from, he wasn't from their country. And he felt one or two were against him. Now, I don't know whether they were, but he just got it in his mind, in his heart, that because of one or two, that people didn't want him there. They didn't want him to do the job. And so he, he talks about this. He told, told us in our church, his previous church, he said, he wrote to the national director of Elim called John Glass back then, telling him that he's really upset he didn't feel accepted where he was. Now, he expected back from the national director this long pastoral email, telling him how good he was, many kind of verses of encouragement to build him up. John just replies, he might have been busy, he just wrote, and it came to pass. That's all he wrote, dot, dot, dot. What a mate. And it came to pass. Do you know there's so many times in the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, where God's people um, were faced and went through and were confronted by very difficult situations. Do you know towards the end of most of those situations, it says, and it came to pass. And it came to pass. It was worked through. God was with you. How many times, when I think, how many times, for example, you think about something that you're faced with and you look back now and within two or three days it came to pass. It came to pass. I bet that there are hundreds, if not thousands of situations. And you think three days later, if only I trusted back then, my thinking would not have been consumed and I would have lived in the freedom of what God had for me. How many times could we say it came to pass? So many times. But our thought lives can, they just tie us, don't they, sometimes? And uh, God is for us. Let me encourage you with one or two verses as we kind of come towards the end. And in Psalm 121, it says this. Verse 5 to 8 says, The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. And then in chapter 4, verse 8 says, the psalmist says, I will lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. You see, that's the perspective I think that God wants us to have, to take our thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ and to live in the freedom that he wants us to live within. 
You know when Jesus, uh, we do know, uh, when Jesus died on the cross, there were seven things that he said. One of them, one of them, he says this to his father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Into your hands I commit my spirit. That is a prayer that that God's people, that Jews used to pray when they went to bed. Not that they were going to die, but they were, into your hands I commit my spirit. That's a wonderful thing to be able to do is to say, God, I commit myself to you. I'm going to sleep. I know that I'm going to dwell in safety. See, see, God is so keen that we take these thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. Now, why is this so important? Because it helps us to live obediently and it helps us to live in the freedom that he has for us and helps us to thrive. We demolish every argument and pretension that sets itself up against our life in God. Now, just to close, in Ephesians chapter 4, it also says that this has divine power to demolish strongholds within our minds. It has the power to demolish strongholds. Now, a stronghold is something that really captures us. Of course, it's a stronghold. Ties us down, stops us living and thriving. And maybe throughout your life, there's been things that have been said to you that you've taken on board that brings a lack of confidence. Something has taken place. Something has hurt us. Something that we wrongly believed. Something that's restricted our freedom. Helps us to lose peace. uh, Roots us in fear. Stops us moving confidently within our lives and stepping out. When I was growing up, we had uh, well, I was a, a particular uncle. He wasn't an uncle. When you're young, you have lots of uncles and aunts that aren't uncles and aunts, don't you? Don't know why that is. Anyway, he was called. He was an uncle, and uh, called Uncle Ron, Uncle Ron. And I did get on with him. But when I was in my early to mid teens, the family thought I was a little bit of a rogue, which is just unbelievable, isn't it? And he said to my mum, and he got back to me. He said to my mum, he says, you know, Philip. Nothing will ever become of his life, he said. Nothing will ever become of his life. And uh, I'm not saying that I, I took that on board, but things can be said to us or about us that we take on board, that uh, is off opposite to the truth. Now, I became a Christian at the age of 16, and I'm glad to say that I always felt that God had a purpose for me, that something would become of my life, not because of who I am, but because of who he is. And uh, there's many verses that encourage me, and one is just really good. It says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we encourage to take captive our thoughts rather than to be a captive, to be captivated by the truth and to live in the freedom and the love of God. Now, you might have been a Christian for many years, and heard many of these things before. But let me tell you this. While we're on earth, there's always a level of freedom to walk into. There's always a level of freedom to walk into and to thrive in that God wants to encourage us in. And he would say, you know, you can do all things through me. You can do all things through me. It may be something that you're just worrying about stepping out in at the moment. And God's encouraging you in this word. You can do all things through me. You can step out into this.
Now, of course, um, we're talking about knowing the truth, and the truth will set you free. There's also something to add to this, which is another talk, which I am not going to do now, which says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So that is where truth goes from our mind right into here by the work of the Spirit within our hearts and within our lives. And, and the important thing is, is that to live in the truth and that freedom, we have to allow the Spirit of God to come and make it real within us. It's, you know, it's a touch of God upon us, not just an intellectual thing. We need to believe it, but we need to allow the Spirit to come close to bring the reality of that within our hearts. Uh, earlier in the year, this is my last illustration, um, I mentioned uh, a, a girl online, my, one of my first sermons, a girl called Helen, who asked us to pray for her because she'd never felt that God loved her. She was told, she'd been a Christian many years, she was told that God loved her, she, she, she'd put her trust in Christ. She had a, a bit of a Jehovah's Witness uh, upbringing and she was a little bit confused, but she'd never really felt that God loved her. And she said, will you pray for me? So she sits on this chair, two or three of us gather around and we pray for her. While we're praying for her, she starts to crouch together in a ball on the chair. Now she wasn't trying to become like a shape of a wall particularly, but she was just trying to hide from something. And we asked her, Helen, what's happening while we're praying? And she, she was honest, she says, well, I feel as if God's drawing close. And we're thinking, well, if God's drawing close, why are you trying to hide? And she said that when she was younger, if she was at home in the lounge, say, and uh, she was in there on her own, and she heard footsteps coming before the, towards the lounge. She always thought it was her dad. And if it was a dad coming towards her, she always felt as if she was going to be in trouble. So she used to go and hide behind the sofa and pretend that she wasn't there because she was only going to be told off or punished for something. So when was God was drawing close by his spirit, she was just fearful of God drawing close, thinking that he'd be like her father, and she was hiding from him and curling up like a ball. And Romans 8 says this, doesn't it? This, God does not give us a spirit that makes us a slave to fear, but a spirit of sonship. So the spirit within cries out, Abba, Father, and testifies with our spirits that we're children of God. So whereas I'm saying this morning, yes, we need to know the truth, and the truth will set us free, we also need to allow the spirit of God, or God by his spirit, to draw close and say, you know, I'm your father. You know, I'm your dad. I will bring this truth. The Holy Spirit re reminds us of the truth and reveals the truth to us. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now I'm going to invite uh, the band up. They're going to come and join me. And uh, I hope you picked up the, the gist of the uh, different thoughts as they've come together. And I've asked the band to lead us in a couple of songs this morning. We've got a few moments left. I know we've sung a lot, but, but there are these occasions, I think, corporately, where coming in God's presence together gives us the opportunity to allow God to draw close by his Spirit. And the band's going to lead us in two songs. One is No Longer Slaves to Fear, and the second one, All My Life You Have Been Faithful. And it could be that something that you've picked up from this morning, from what we've looked at, not because I've said anything good, but because of the truth of what is true, that a sense that God wants you to be at peace about something. And maybe this morning as you worship, 
the word for you this morning, God is saying, it will come to pass. It will come to pass. Be free in your thinking, in your joy in me. Life does, we do face challenges, but it will come to pass. Maybe for some of you, when you go to bed at night, you really kind of struggle to, to turn off. And, and God wants you to be aware that you dwell in safety with him. You dwell in safety with him. I like that line, that quote where it says, sleep at peace tonight. God is bigger than anything that you will face tomorrow. God is bigger than anything that you will face this week. And, and, and I've said it. You know it's true. But God is such a loving father. He wants to come reveal that by his love to us. So I'm not going to say any more. Let us, let us stand. Uh, you listened well. I'll pray and let the band lead us and allow God to draw close to you. He won't force himself upon us. He says, draw close to God and he'll draw close to you. Lord, we do thank you for your truth. We thank you for your love towards us. We thank you, Lord, for our forgiveness. We thank you, Lord, for our freedom. And Lord, we want to live in the freedom that you have for us. We want to live in that freedom. Lord, we want to take thoughts captive, these thoughts that we want to put behind us. We pray, Lord, that you'd put new thoughts within our hearts and within our minds so that we would look ahead, look to the future with confidence, with joy, with peace, with excitement, with a sense of anticipation because of the freedom that we have in you. Lord, as we draw close to you now, we pray that you draw close to us by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.